Uh, good morning. This is uh, Michael Vandervoort, and I'm here with uh, my uh, co-host, John uh, John Hyman. John, welcome back to Labor Relatedly. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. It's been a um, it's been a hot minute since you and I got together. Yeah, so. I mean, I moved and I had the Q conference, and you know, life and you, you yeah, know, I was you I, I was beer. in Nashville for the Craft Brewers Conference. Yeah, and... we we it's been busy, and 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 it seemed for for a second like things in the world of labor relations were maybe slowing down. You know, summer hiatus or something, and then all of a sudden, a whole bunch of different things. Uh, well. A couple of major things came out here recently that that I wanted to talk about, and then we had a not really a labor relations issue, but a DEI issue we want to touch on because that seems to be kind of a recurring hobby of our show to talk about different aspects of of DEI and and uh, the way they manage it. So um, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll go ahead and start. I guess we'll jump into uh, Amazon first. So Amazon obviously has has had organizing going on number of places the amazon labor union won a won a, an election last year in uh, staten island new york and you know have, have continued to put pressure on amazon to negotiate and so on but they've had campaigns at other locations and uh, kind of an ongoing battle with the nlrb and earlier i don't know if it's late last week or earlier this week i guess i got the announcement from through a press release on monday i think um but I'm not sure exactly when it came out. Uh, the the NLRB just dropped a whole bunch of another a whole another like five different charges against Amazon, all related to access to to different uh, warehouses around the country and unions being able to come on the property and some rules that they had applied, which the board has deemed to have been made uh, improperly and showing union animus, I guess. And so the so the big, you know, there's a bunch of stuff there, I guess, but we're not, we're not going to try to dissect the whole thing because, to be honest with you, I haven't even read all the, all the, all the charges yet because I believe you had to FOIA them in order to get access to them, which is kind of weird. But anyway, um, the 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 big takeaway though is this: this is kind of a continuation of the board's expansion of remedies and trying to increase the access of. Uh, union organizers and the, and and their ability to access uh, employees inside the inside the employer's property. So you want to you want to chat about that for a minute? Yeah, I mean there has always been a a a pretty clear distinction in union organizers' access to an employer's property, and um, you know employers have historically enjoyed the right to control you know, access to their property, particularly by non-employees. Um, the NLRB last year decided that union organizers um, can access, you know, can have access to employees and kind of non-working hours, non-work spaces. Um, and, um, and that was essentially the crux of what the NLRB concluded here, that the, that, Amazon violated the act by not allowing non-employee organizers to access its facilities, um, you know, break rooms and other non-working spaces during during non-work time. Um, and it really, I think, the, the the end result, I think, is this is going to kick the door wide open for, uh, depending on your perspective, for you know, for organizers to come in, or really for employers not. I mean, really no longer to be able to control kind of ingress and egress from their own facilities for purposes of union, for purposes of union organizing. I mean, I, 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 
with this board, you never know what's next, but is the, um, you know, the union organizer walking out on the shop floor while employees are on the clock to have those. I mean, is that, is mean, is that what's, is, is that really what's going to, what, what's going to be the next thing to drop here? But it, it certainly makes you, it certainly makes me concerned. Yeah. Cause like the, the, so if you've never been like, if you've never had a, a union outside union entity, try to organize your workplace, um, yeah, like there's a there's a there's always been a pretty bright line, like not a literal line, but a pretty bright line about like the company. You know, if you have a, a manufacturing facility or a warehouse and you have you know limited access to employees only and that kind of thing, a union organizer generally couldn't walk into the building and just start carrying on whatever kind of business they wanted to conduct related to talking to your. Yeah, they'd have employees. to stay out in the parking lot or do it in the the bar down the street after work or yeah, show up I at mean, employees' homes or whatever. But yeah, yeah right. you could you could essentially keep them off your property. Yeah. Yeah. Um, assuming that you didn't have like open, unlimited open public access to your property. Right. I mean, right. So that and that was kind of the bright line. Now, you you were obligated because if, if you had employees inside the company who supported the union, they're allowed to conduct speech and, and talk about the union and talk to other employees about or organizing. But even that had some limited, uh, some limitations. On yeah, it was like limited not, to non-work time and non-work spaces. Right. And right. And not in public areas in front of right. customers and, you know, a few other things. So, so, so what the board is essentially seemingly trying to do with these cases at Amazon <clears throat> is to blur those lines, blur the brightness of those lines. And, you know, worst case scenario is to what John alluded to a minute ago is that an organizer who had nothing to do with your company and has no formal relationship with your company and has been invited in by your employees would be able to walk in and basically invade your property and conduct uh, union organizing on your property with your employees while they're on the clock. Now that I don't think that's the expressed intent necessarily, but it, it is kind of like the worst case scenario. Oh, I don't know. Sure I mean, with right this, now, right? with the, with mm -hmm. the, I, I'm, look, I mean, uh, Jennifer Bruto yesterday, the NLRP's general counsel was at some kind of speaking event in New York and made the statement that she believes that non-competes violate the National Labor Relations Act, that an, an employer who asks an employee to sign a non-compete agreement would be in violation of that employee's <laughs> Section 7 rights. And that's an, a, a statement that we saw she expressed, um, at least in passing, in the her guidance on um, severance agreements that came out a couple months ago. So yeah. with this uh, uh, this person being in charge of you know board policy of what what gets charged and what doesn't right what's an unfair labor practice and what isn't uh, i i think all bets are off the table i mean she is the most left wing pro union person we've ever had in a position of authority at the national labor relations board i think um and certainly the policies the policies she's putting forth take that position and uh so to say that i i, I would I, i'm not comfortable saying that we won't at some point in the next year or two see a board memo or board decision that takes the position that it's an unfair labor practice charge to deny union organizers unfettered access to an employer's property even while employees are 
on the clock in um you know in work in working space in in work areas in workspaces uh, in in it, it is certainly not outside the, the realm of uh possibility and it it certainly would be consistent with this view they have of balancing the slate uh, yeah, which unions win. Unions right now are winning four out of every four out of every five elections. So I'm yeah, not sure how much balancing 80, 80, needs. I, I would say the balancing rate, needs. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. some weight needs to go on the other side of the scale. Yeah. Anyway, um, so so the, actually, I forget, there is another big NLRB thing. I'm going to throw this on the table too, just for comment, and then we'll kind of come back and wrap this one up. So the other big thing that NLRB dropped is actually a return to to bad old days, in that they've kind of reactivated the. Uh, protected concerted activity where really egregious egregious language, the, the use of F-bombs and the use of racial slurs um, is, it, it's a case-by-case -case basis, but uh, they basically have indicated that those are uh, going to go back to being protected kinds of conversation, assuming that they're talking about organizing or any kind of terms and conditions of employment. And if it, 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 a few years ago, there were like a whole series of cases that I called like the four f bomb cases. Where yeah, and there was the one where the the employee called his manager like the f word and said he was going to like, you know, and his manager, his family, whatever. And there was a pro union employee, and then he said at the end of his it was a Facebook post. At the end of the post, the case was Pier sixty, and at the end yeah, of the post, he said, yeah. you know, it was like P.S. You know, vote for the union at the end of his post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The post was, was like the it. week before, and that was the, and that's all of a sudden that turns this like horrific profanity laden tirade he went on not only against his manager but like the manager's family yeah, that turned like that you and f your yeah f your wife and, like, and your mom and yeah and i was like and was, i'm gonna kill your bad. kids it wasn't quite that extreme but it was not that far off yeah you know and and the other case um the other case that always got my attention was and i forget it was a tire company and i forget yeah, cooper the tire I think? cooper tire yeah thank you um was a picket line and there were replacement workers crossing the picket line. Some of the replacement workers happened to be black and the white picketers uh, screamed like racial epithets at them as they were crossing the picket line. Um, and they were fired for violating the company's uh, anti-harassment policy. And they filed a charge claiming it was an unfair labor practice um, because they were whatever they say on the picket line is protected. Um, and that case went that case went their way as well. And it's um and you know like what's an employer supposed to do in that situation? You're stuck in the it's the Hobson's choice of do I assuming you agree that that's a violation of the picketers section seven rights and I don't, but assuming you do, um, and the board thought it was, then the employer has the Hobson's choice of violating the the picketer section seven rights or the replacement workers title seven rights. Uh, to work in a, an environment free from racial harassment. And and um, to me, that's an easy decision whose rights trump in that case. I think it's mm. the, the the Title VII rights of the replacement workers. But no matter what the employer does in that situation, the employer's facing liability. So it's, yeah. it, it really puts an employer in a difficult in a difficult position. And even if there's not a picket line and the racial epithets involved, and it's just the tirade, an F-bomb-filled tirade in the workplace, you still have the issue of that kind of behavior, civility, um, tolerate, you know, tolerating, you know, insubordinate behavior, and, and so on. You know, that can yeah, be disruptive and, to an employer's, you know, morale. Right. And 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 this this idea that objectionable 
offensive conduct can somehow become legally legally acceptable and protected just because it happens to be done in the context of you know union organizing to me is is it's anathema to everything we've been telling employees for the past decades about respectful workplaces and the importance of civility and treating all people you know equally and it just it, to me it, it it's it really puts employers in a difficult spot because it it makes it makes everything we're trying to do to get rid of bullies and make workplaces more respectful and civil it makes all of that so much more difficult when all you have to do to to curse out your manager is say you know ps vote for the union right <laughs> even if there's not an election or even if even if there's not an election and and in that case in the pier 60 case what the what the board found was well you know f you know this is a you know employees use f bombs all the time and so they were singling out that that one particular pro union employee but of course the fact that the board had omitted was just be joking around with your friends and dropping an f bomb is very different than going on Facebook or looking at your manager in the face and saying, you know, F you and F your wife and F your mom. They're two very, very different things, right? Yep. There's yeah. so it's, I mean, I can talk about that. I, I think these cases are fascinating. Um, and, you know, my, if, if a client called me with that fact pattern, I would say, I would say fire the employee and, take your lumps on the unfair labor practice charge if it comes, but I'm, I'm just not tolerating that kind of insubordination or just blatant racism in my workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would think as a practitioner, I would be inclined to take the same general path because there's, there's really no better alternative, um, you know, bearing the conduct and putting up tolerating it is far worse in my opinion. than even if you fight and lose, it's worse. At least you fought the fight. Um, and people can see that you stood up for something that, you know, mattered. I don't know. Yeah. It, but to your point, Hobson's choice, we'll have to find a guest named Hobson and bring him on sometime. And ask him <laughs> no, no. Uh, I want to go back to property rights for just a minute and then we'll wrap up this NLRB piece. So, so the, for the property rights piece, to go back to that, if you, if you're a practitioner right now and you don't have like a, like, if you don't have like a clear layout of you know, your facilities or whatever you like, you need to know property lines, you need to have flat maps, you need, you should have signage that spells out access, you know, there, there's a number of practical things that you should be doing um, now, prior to any kind of intervention from a union that would help you in a case like this, you know, and it's not hard to do. I mean, probably your, you know, your property manager or your or yeah, your landlord facilities yeah. manager or whatever they have this stuff right you just need to make sure it's populated so in general you know if you have if you don't have stuff like that around your facility you might want to make a note to add that to your task list at some point yeah John, talk to your architect you and get the sketches for the build out of your space you can designate yeah. common space versus non-com right versus non-common space or work areas versus non-work areas to the extent that to the extent that still matters and maybe yeah. it, maybe it doesn't anymore but no exactly um, so anyway, that that that's uh, some good wrap up advice for that segment. Um, so the next thing is is still in the world of labor relations. The third piece is going to be DEI, like I said at the start. Um, 
it was, it was interesting. Starbucks, always the 800-pound gorilla in the room when it comes to union campaigns these days, 2022, 2023 especially. Um, they have been engaging in rather sporadic uh, negotiations with the Starbucks Workers Union on a store-by-store -store basis. Um, and largely those negotiations have consisted of agreeing to dates and times, showing up at a hotel or a conference room somewhere, uh, the Starbucks Workers Union uh, demanding that um, that they be allowed to use what they call hybrid negotiations, which means they have some people in the room and then they have a bunch of other people that are really not known to the negotiators that represent Starbucks hanging out on Zoom calls, possibly recording, possibly sharing stuff to the universe. And Starbucks uh, and Littler, their legal representatives, have, have consistently been declining to to participate in, in that type of negotiation, which they're not legally required to do under the present standard. And uh, so the, the, the negotiations have basically been going nowhere fast. Uh, and we've started to see some filings of ESER petitions. I think there's been like a single handful so far, maybe through somewhere between four and five. Most of them probably won't go anywhere for a number of reasons, but, but just the fact that they're occurring after such a robust uh, round of union organizing is a sign that perhaps there's some uh, buyer's remorse or some disgruntled uh, factions within the previously pretty well-aligned Starbucks Workers Union. And, um, and it's causing some, uh, some changes in some of, the, some of the ideas that are being put forth by the Starbucks Workers Union leadership. And that was a big story this week in that they came out a couple days ago and are now calling on Starbucks to uh, negotiate a contract nationally, you know, stop doing this penny, picky, nitpicky, penny, any one by one, you know, store location negotiation, let's get down to brass tacks and put a national agreement in place and then, and then do uh, local agreements, you know, to deal with issues in Boston that might be different than those in Knoxville, Tennessee or whatever. And Starbucks is saying, uh, yeah, no, thanks which they're also legally entitled to do. And there's a, there's another backstory here about the campaign strategy, which I'll throw over to you if you want to share about the, the unit right. determinations. And how well, that I mean, you know, like screw the union. I mean, that's my take on this. That just the, <laughs> the, 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 the hypocrisy just drives me insane. Can't they have were, their cake and eat it too? Yeah. I mean, they were so steadfast in their intent to, and they, and they litigated right at the board, the issue of, store only units they wanted single store units that's what they wanted and they wanted it because the smaller the unit the easier it is to corral your voters and get a majority of votes to vote for the union and and win a union election um and uh and so they were adamant that they wanted single store units only starbucks um, push the issue at the organizing phase for more broad-based units like citywide or uh, uh, area-wide units. Um, they lost that issue, and we had you know 300 or so store-by-store -store union elections. And now the employees who are learning that like getting the union certified was the easy part, and getting a contract is a first contract is really 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 difficult um and um and on top of that with a you know there's 300 stores that have been organized but how many stores does starbucks have i mean the thousands nationwide I don't nine thousand plus thank you i was gonna say i didn't know the exact number but okay 
So this is a just a small percentage, as much attention as the story has garnered. This is still a very small percentage of the Starbucks stores and workers nationwide. But in the meantime, while these 300 or so units have been certified on a store by store basis, um, Starbucks is still operating its other 9,000 stores around the country and raising pay and giving better benefits and doing all kinds of things that the employees in these 300 stores can't get because these are now mandatory subjects of bargaining, which Starbucks can't implement uh, while they're negotiating a contract. So now these employees have what I think, or some of the employees anyway, have seen this kind of first smattering of smattering, spattering, scattering of yeah. <laughs> of desert petitions. Um, I, I think some of these employees are starting to get a pretty serious case of buyer's remorse. It's, you know, we we voted the union in to get us better pay, better hours, better working conditions, better safety, whatever. And we can't get any of that because we can't even get Starbucks to the table to vote, you know, to even talk about these things in a contract. And I, I, they're learning the hard way that the, 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 the union votes, the easy part It's the contract. That's the hard part. Um, and, uh, right. And so they're, they're trying to simplify the process by saying, let's just get one contract for everybody. And, um, sorry, it's not, there's, I mean, whatever number is less than zero, that's the chance that Starbucks would agree to <laughs> uh, bargain a nationwide contract here. Minus, and they they really, 100%. I mean, yeah, yeah. Starbucks, Starbucks has the union right now exactly where they want them. Um, they, if I was Starbucks legal counsel um, and I, and I've been critical of um, some of Starbucks tactics during the organizing, some of their um, uh, anti-union um tactics they rolled out during the organizing campaigns but if i'm starbucks now i absolutely keep my my foot on the throat of this union as hard as i possibly can and i choke it out during the during the bargaining yeah um yeah it's uh, i saw uh, somebody shared with me actually this morning um trader joe's united which is a, actually a legitimate if you will independent union rep trying to represent negotiate contracts on behalf of a few stores with Trader Joe's uh, and they've only won elections like in the last six months right so it's a pretty compared to compared to Starbucks which is like two years old it's a pretty it's a pretty early on in its existence kind of union and there's already people at Trader Joe's going like this union can't do shit you know we blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and it's like and these are like Trader Joe's employees on a reddit subreddit Trader Joe's forum where they're talking about this stuff, you know, like they, they, they had a real big expectation that somehow the, the union was going to just come in and turn things over in a, in a minute. And it just doesn't work that way. Uh, a first contract on average, a first contract where the parties actually are trying to get an agreement still takes something like 465 days to get the typical first agreement because of the complexity of all the languages and everything that you have to work out and all the agreements. So it's a long process, even on the best uh, path. And, and this path, when it's this combative, is going to be a lot longer than that. Yeah. So and, the, the and, are... and, and the other difference here is, I mean, these are not professional unions. These are employee started, employee run unions, and they just don't, they, they lack the, they lack the perspective 
of what it's going to take to actually get a first contract here. Yeah. You know, the Hobson's, it's an interest, it's a different spin. I'm just going to your Hobson's trace reference. What a, what a question that the SEIU and Workers United, which is actually the big union behind Starbucks Workers Union, what a question they face. Like, how long do they fight this fight? Right? Yeah. I, like, is there, is there like any possibility that you disavow and walk away from at some point, the largest union campaign that's happened in decades? I don't, I don't think they, I don't think they can for that exact reason. I mean, what is that? I mean, what does that say about the future of labor unions in that sector? Right. If 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 those two unions can't help negotiate a contract here. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean it's it's I don't I I don't I don't see how they walk away. I really don't. Um they're just gonna have to they're going to have to do what they can to bargain a contract and just kind of deal with it as it comes. But if if they walk away, um, that uh, that becomes like the lead in every organizing campaign they're ever involved in in, yep. in, in moving forward. Every I'll count on this union to support you. And yeah, that 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 is that is talking point number one in every conversation, every um, owner, manager, persuader, whomever has with employees considering, uh, you know, a union. Um, uh, that's being attempted to be organized with the SIE, with the SIU, for example, like you're just, uh, you're just, you're, you're done. Like you, they, they'll, they'll, they'll never win another union election. So I don't, I, I don't see how they walk away. Interesting. Um, anyway. Okay. So that, 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 uh, those are the two big labor relations stories that have emerged over your, well, three, I guess, if you count the, uh, PCA stuff, which is big. Um, three big stories that came out in the last couple of weeks since we did a show three weeks or so. Um, and then there was this no, another story that just fascinates me and John and John and I have these discussions about DEI and our divisive society and, you know, full disclosure, we're both pretty liberal. So we tend to land on the blue woke side of things, you know, so if you're listening beyond this point, beware, I guess, if you're not of that same school. Liberal, liberal management side advocates doing a management perspective um, yeah, labor relations we're, podcast. We're odd, we're odd ducks in a, in a big pond, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, so I don't want to bash, uh, I don't, because I, I I don't know this lady, I don't want to bash this lady, but there's an interesting case that came out, or an interesting situation that has been in the press this week about Uber. And it's so the, the director of uh, diversity, uh, equity and inclusion, I think is what her title was at, at Uber has been put on a temporary leave after sort of a backlash from running some workshops internally that, and I, I have to admit, I'm ill-informed on this. I'm no expert on this, but it, the, the big picture was she ran some workshops that were basically trying to convey the perspective of employees and, and drivers at Uber in dealing with Karens, the and, and it was kind of from the perspective of Karens, I think, trying to yeah, the, sympathize the, with the, the plight of somebody that would be viewed as a uh, privileged white lady expressing her outrage. I yeah, guess. the 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 events were called "Don't Call Me Karen," and I'll I'll quote the New York Times, um, which described them as um, events diving into the spectrum of the American white woman's experience um, and hearing from white women who work at Uber with a focus on the quote, Karen persona. 
they were intended to be an open and honest conversation about race, according to the invitation that Uber that Uber sent out to its employees. Um, and they uh, 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 Uber um, ate a whole bunch of poop over this internally. Their black and Hispanic employees, particularly, um, lost their collective minds. Um, uh, that um, uh, DEI should not focus on the um, the difficulties faced by the American white woman, which is certainly not uh, not a minority and not uh, should not be the focus of I, I, it just shouldn't be the focus of a corporate DEI program. I mean, DEI programs should are are intended to uh, 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 promote issues related to marginalized communities. Um, the American white woman uh, is not marginalized. And um, and I think they were, um, I, I think Uber's black and Hispanic employees, I think were um, correct in their outrage over Uber um, promoting that event internally. So I was at a, a conference, small, like a 30 person meeting that where we talked about DEI efforts and, and we had a long discussion there about the concept of belonging, which is kind of a growing word in the DEI lexicon. A lot of companies are, you know, so rather than trying to, you know, even, even you said marginalized communities, the, I think the take of belonging is to, you know, to kind of pivot that lens a bit and be more all inclusive. Um, what they did at Uber, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt or the the, the, the manager who I guess is going to take the brunt of the impact of this. I believe that was well-intentioned. Um, it and- was. I, I Well, I, I don't know if it was. I mean, I can I, – I lived this experience a couple of weeks ago at the Craft Brewers Conference. Yeah, yeah there was um, – there was a whole um, – HR focused track called thrive at the event. And it was both a pre-conference event and then other seminars that were held educational seminars that were held during the main conference itself. And I spoke at the pre-conference event on ADA disability issues. There was one event during the main conference. Um, and it was called, um, privilege is my superpower. And the title immediately caught a lot of people's attention um, including a lot of the people I was with at the Thrive Conference, which included a lot of uh, Black and LGBTQ individuals. And it caught everyone's attention for two reasons. One, um, because the presenter um, was a white woman. And secondly, because of the title itself. And when, when you put two of them together, I think it felt both very patronizing. Um, I think by suggesting that one's privilege it is their whiteness is a superpower i think it suggests that those that don't that are not privileged to be white are something less than which i think is the opposite of the message we should be promoting through this through dei programs um uh and there's lots of there's a whole black brewers association the the brewers association the ba the trade organization that put on this event um uh has um a, a dei committee with um, lots of black and LGBTQ individuals on it that could have that could have presented. Um, there was lots of reasons why this was a bad idea. Um, and but what what struck me the most 
was um, during the Q&A at the end of this woman's presentation, um, someone asked her um, something to the effect of, like, do you think that it's problematic that, you know, you're a, a white person up there lecturing us all on privilege? Um, and her response was, and I'm going to paraphrase, but it really was essentially, ideally, yes, it would be great if there was a, a black person up here giving this speech, but this is what I do for a living, and I have black colleagues, and they're all okay with me doing this. And to me, that's no different than the, you know, like, I can't be racist, I have black friends excuse that we've heard oh. for for decades. And, and so it was just... It was just problematic across the board. It was absolutely well-intentioned. This was not, this presentation was not put on. The, the speaker didn't come from, from a position of malice or bad intent. She's, she was well-intentioned. The, the organization was well-intentioned in putting on the event, just as I believe, I, I believe to have been the case at Uber. But it is a, it is, it is a uh, 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 short-sightedness in what is needed in corporate America to really address to what the purpose of DEI is and to address the needs of the communities that DEI programs are supposed to serve. And, and I think a lot of that comes out of this, like, like the current culture wars that we're in. And I think a, a co-opting of DEI, which is, I think, supposed to help you know raise up these communities and put them on a on an equal footing with the you know white male whatever in corporate america and um and we've taken this uh, this idea of wokeness has now penetrated a lot of these dei efforts to say well diversity is diversity for all and so we should be including, you know, white folks in diversity as well. And white folks need to be treated equally and white and straight folks need to be, you know, need to be included. And that's not the point of these programs. That's not why companies have DEI programs. And I think we need to kind of push all that woke, anti-woke ideology to the side and just say, we believe in these programs. We believe in what they stand for. And we're not going to worry if a white person gets offended because we believe that DEI is a good thing, or we're not going to be upset if a uh, if a straight person gets offended because we think DEI is a good thing, a, go a good value for our, for our company or or our organization to hold. Yeah, and, and you know, and here here we are, two white guys, two talking. white guys talking about DEI. I get, yeah. I fully, I fully get the irony. I I re I really really do. I, I um, met a I met a guy in Atlanta a few years ago. I ran across him, you know, on LinkedIn somehow, and we lived near each other. Decided to grab lunch, and he had a book out, and he brought me a copy of the book. And I, when I read the intro of it while we were eating lunch, it, it said he was the leading expert on women's uh, some I don't know women something to do with women, right? And I was I'm like, same thing. Two white guys. I'm like, you're a middle-aged cis white guy, you know, that worked at Coca-Cola. What makes you the leading, you know, like that's a bold claim, <laughs> you know, and, and he actually was able to tell, I won't name him. Cause it, I mean, it wasn't malicious or anything. It was just, but I was just like, it really struck me. Right. And I was like, that's a bold claim. You know, he, 
he was able to tell a story about how he had been kind of thrown in, inadvertently into a position at Coca-Cola where he had become sort of the champion of, you know, some of the early DEI programs that were designed to raise women, et cetera, and had some really strong success. And he kind of built a consulting business off of that. So he, he felt like he had earned the, you know, the, through his work, he had earned the ability to kind of put forth that claim. But he was like, yeah, I think about that every day, you know, even though I, even though I say it, I think about that every day. And I think for me, all this stuff that that's kind of the caution is we, like, I believe you and I aspire for, you know, better things for people. And, but it's, it's really easy to, even with the best of intentions to miss, miss things. And I think employers really need to work hard at that to, to try to, you know, stay clean as much as possible, but even more importantly, to do it the right way. Yeah. I mean, as, as progressive and as liberal as I think I am on these issues, like I don't, I don't, I haven't lived their experiences. I don't have the same shared experiences as a black person or a gay person or a woman. I just, or a disabled person. I just don't. Um, and so I, I, um, learning, um, making myself educated on the issues and, um, you know, when I, when I make, when, when I make mistakes, I own up to them and apologize for them. And they're not mistakes out of malice. They're just mistakes out of, out of, out of ignorance. And I think in both situations, I think that we've taught the Uber situation and the, the, um, the, the CBC situation, I think if rather than doubling down on the well we intend you know this comes from a good place and we didn't we weren't trying to offend anybody and and kind of doubling down on owning that content and owning those speakers if there just would have been like a, a recognition of you know we tried and we were we got it wrong this time but we learned and we're going to do better next time I, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the from a corporate perspective I think that's the better way to handle it because we're not, again, we, you know, we haven't lived the same experiences that other people have and people shouldn't expect like white guys like you and me to get it right every time. Um, I think what's a fair expectation is when we get it wrong is that we learn from our mistakes and make an effort to do better the next time around. And I think that's all. And I think that's what I think that's I I can fault these two organizations for the programs they ran because I thought they were short-sighted in, in how they were done. But I think their real error here was in the how they handled it and explained it when it blew up after the fact. Yeah. And I know a guy in uh, I know a guy that is in the PR industry, uh, reputation management, and he would say this isn't this isn't stuff corporations should be doing corporations shouldn't be woke corporations really shouldn't get into these social issues you know you're better off you don't you know do something that's more in your wheelhouse right do business stuff or whatever and i mean that i I mean that keeps you out of trouble for sure or helps keep you out of trouble for sure but it also maybe leaves unmet challenges and you know yeah i mean who else who else is going to make a stand the the yeah. and again, yeah and it, right I, I don't want to get too I don't want to get too far afield here but you know Bud Light has a tr- has a trans activist as in in an ad campaign and then they then they back then the backlash comes and they backpedal from it and so they eat crap on both sides they eat crap 
from um, from the trans community because they backpedal on the stance they took, right? And they're no longer and they're and they're eating crap from the from the anti woke community because you're you're having this trans person. Um, uh, and the same things and the same thing is happening with Target now. Yep. That absolutely. had that had trans um uh uh uh, uh trans uh uh clothing with pride stuff. Yeah, yeah, pride stuff. But I think I think what really I think what really got yeah. people upset yeah. was the was the was the tuck um uh the tucked uh uh swimsuit for trans women. And um you know, and so now Target has backpedaled from that, and they've removed some merchandise from their stores. And it's like if you're an ally, be an ally, right? Don't the minute the minute the heat comes from people that wanna that wanna remove certain people from society, when when that heat comes, don't back down. If you're gonna take a stand, take a stand, and don't yeah, they, and don't and don't be a, don't be a coward about it. I saw some references to potential violence and threats against some of their employees in certain stores, especially in the South. I don't, I, I, I don't have any citation of any, you know, anything specific. I just saw accounts of that. Um, and, you know, so they're again, caught in a rock and a hard place by their by a position. So anyway, no right answer here. It's just uh, part of the ongoing, but it's, it's. Oh, super- no, I know. I actually think there is a right answer. I think the right answer is you take a stand and you stand by it. Well, there, there's you, that, you, but you, I, you I'm stand- kind of talking the bigger issues, I guess. Oh, okay. Or, yeah. Yeah. Higher <laughs> level. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with you, John, but I'm I'm thinking like DEI in, in, in the universe. There's no specific correct answer here that we that you know is the right single right path to follow. No, um, I continue to hope for a day when we don't have to have these conversations. But until then, I'm gonna keep using whatever platforms I have here and on LinkedIn and my blog, and I'm gonna keep using those platforms to to advocate for what I think is the right thing to do. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree. So. All right. Well, we're running close to running out of time here and probably a good time to wrap up. So great conversation as always. I always enjoy it when we get to do these shows because I just love bouncing this stuff back and forth between you and I, and uh, hopefully someone else will listen to this one, but we'll uh, go ahead and end (laughs) for today. So this is, uh, I think, episode 11 of Labor Relatedly, and I'll get the show up here in a little bit and we'll... uh, We'll see where if we get any bad reactions from our conversations. Well, <laughs> not. bring it on. That's what I say. Yeah, and then, well, go ahead. No, that's it. We'll see you. Um, we'll see you for episode twelve at some point next month. Yeah, so. a couple of weeks from now. Good to talk to you again, John. Have a great rest. Right of on. Week. You too. Cheers. Bye.